Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're here today. Merry Christmas. And, uh, and so I hope that we're getting in, that you're having a good season this year as we get into the Christmas season. Thank you all for, uh, for everyone who came out and helped us celebrate Christmas for our musical last weekend. Uh, tonight we've got the children's musical, so come back for that. It's going to be, it's going to be really, really, really good. And uh, so, uh, so this morning I want to sing a song with you that I know that you're going to know the words to. All right, but I want you to do them from memory. Okay, you ready? I'm going to give you the words. Amen. 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 You got it? You think? Okay, so you know this song. Let's stand and let's sing it together. Here we go. As we sing, amen. amen. That's it. Come on. Amen. You got it memorized already. Amen. 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 Sing it over one more time. Amen. Listen to my story. Fisherman, Amen. and he's making up a disciple. Amen. 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 Right through Jerusalem, in palm branches, in palm pendants, and Father, in deepest sorrow, sorrow, let before Pilate, let they crucified him.
between our three services, we are going to baptize four people today at our church. Isn't it incredible to have a church that celebrates baptism every month and to be able to partner like this? And so today we get the opportunity to baptize Gwen Miles. And I have loved getting to know the Miles family. And so if you are friends or family of Gwen, would you please stand in her honor? Thank you for being here today. You can be seated. And another great thing about this baptism is that we get the opportunity to partner with a family. And so when Gwen came and talked about baptism, Sean said, Jake, I've, I've baptized my other two daughters. Would it be possible for me to have the opportunity to baptize Gwen? And we love the opportunity to partner with families. And so baptism is the uniform of the Christian. It's how we tell the world that we belong to Jesus he belongs to us. So, uh, Sean, through the authority of our church and our pastors, we'd love for you to come and baptize your daughter with us today. I love being part of a church that does that. So, the Bible tells us that if we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths. Praise the Lord. Let's continue to worship together. First Baptist Church, we're glad that you're here today. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us in this Christmas season. And we want to welcome you, if you're, especially if this is your first time here. I know we have folks who are home for the holidays. We're glad to have you here. But also, if this is your first time at our church, Welcome. We're so honored that you've come. We'd like to get to know you. I'll be at the Welcome Center after the service. I have a small gift for first-time guests, and I'd love for you just to stop by and say hello if you would. Or we have a guest card in our pew rack. You can take that and fill it out during the service. And if you'll bring that by the Welcome Center, there's a box you can place it in there, and you can just pick up a, a gift if you don't have time to, to visit for a moment. But we're so glad you're here and hope that you feel welcome in our church this morning. I'm going to lead us in a prayer uh, for some things on my heart, and then we're going to continue to sing together. Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for Gwen, who came to be baptized. I thank you for her family who are here, who have nurtured her and given her a heritage of faith. And Lord, I want to pray for her that this will be a, a, a red-letter day in her life that she'll always remember. I pray this will be the beginning of where she walks with you and grows up to be a Christian woman who loves you and serves you and follows you. I pray these same things for the others who will be baptized in our other services later today. And I would pray, Lord, that today, in our time of commitment at the end of this service, that there will be others who say, I will take a stand for Jesus. I want him to be my Savior. I confess my sins and I confess him as the Lord of my life. Oh God, we pray that others would be birthed into your kingdom and confess you at this Christmas time. Lord, today we want to pause and pray for the people who were in the path of the devastating tornadoes that came through um, our country 
this weekend, especially the people of Mayfield, Kentucky, but other areas in several states. Lord, they tell us that maybe a hundred, maybe more people died in those tornadoes. We pray for those grieving families. My dad died at Christmas time many years ago. I still remember how it is to lose a loved one at Christmas time. I pray you'll give them comfort and strength. I pray that these people knew you as Savior because that's the only hope that they're in heaven right now. And if so, Lord, we rejoice with them that they found the goal of their faith. We pray for those communities devastated. We pray for churches that can't meet like we are today because um, they don't have a building. And we pray for those congregations. And then, Lord, as we're in our season of prayer for world missions, I pray today for the 3,500-plus Southern Baptist missionaries who are in over 100 nations around the world. And I pray especially for them today because many of them won't be home for Christmas, and they've made the sacrifice of being separated from children or parents or grandchildren or grandparents and they've done this, Lord, because they want people around the world to know about you. So would you bless them in a special way this Christmas? They're missing a lot of the traditions that we enjoy and we take for granted. They may not eat the same kind of Christmas foods or be in a, a church that sings Christmas carols. But God, may they have Jesus in their hearts and hope. And oh God, help us in this season as we are giving that we'll give our goal of $27,000 to our world missions offering. So move in the hearts of our people uh, to be generous in this Christmas season for the, the greatest gift of all, to tell people the good news of Jesus. So bless them now. Finally, Lord, we just pray right now for this worship service. We pray that we will sing with all of our hearts in praise to the one who deserves our praise. We thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, to earth at this time of year to be our Savior. We love you, Lord. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song. Do you hear what I hear? Let's stand together and let's sing. <clears throat> Said the night wind to the little lamb, Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb, Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite, with a tail as big as a As big as the sea, with a voice as big as the sea. 
the shepherd boy to the mighty king do you know what i know in your palace wall mighty king do you know what i know a child and child shivers in the cold let us bring him silver and gold let us bring him silver and
Come 
46, 47, and 49 says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Mighty One has done great things for me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm sharing a series of sermons on prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. We're looking at predictions in the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah that were fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. And we're learning that this coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas was planned and prophesied hundreds and even thousands of years before it happened. And we've looked so far at prophecies of his family tree prophecies of his birth, prophecies of his life and ministry, prophecies of his rejection and betrayal. And now today, I want to share with you Old Testament predictions of the suffering and death of the Messiah. And I want to share with you 10 specific predictions about how the Messiah would suffer and die. Let me say to you, first of all, a little hint for public speaking. If you ever do any public speaking, Never have 10 points in your speech. That is just a bad idea. No one can remember 10 things. It's too much. Don't ever do that. I'm going to do it today because I just can't bear to leave any of these out. They're amazing. Eight of the 10 that we're going to look at come from two passages of Scripture, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. These are two of the great chapters in the Old Testament. Jesus, we're going to see, quotes from both of these either the night before he died or while he is hanging on the cross. Psalm 22 is a description by David of suffering in his life, but it has a parallel in the suffering of the son of David, the Messiah, that is amazing. Isaiah 53 is a direct prophecy of the coming Messiah, or servant he is called, who will suffer. And it sounds like, as Franz Dalich said, that it was written while standing at the foot of the cross looking up. 
and there are many Jews who have come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah by reading Isaiah 53. You know, most Jews do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. That's very ironic because he was Jewish. He came to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Uh, he's the Jewish Messiah. But now most Jews do not accept him as the Messiah. And, uh, but there are those who do, I read this week on Jews for Jesus website, Jews for Jesus is an organization of Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Messiah and they're seeking to win their people to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And they have eight testimonies listed on the front page of their website. And as I read those, three of the eight had read Isaiah 53 and it was instrumental in their conversion. Isn't that amazing? Three of the eight there who they, they said they we just were not familiar with that scripture. They were not taught it. And they read it and didn't understand it. And either a Christian helped them or whatever, but they came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So we're going to look primarily at those two chapters, a couple of other places, and follow primarily in Matthew's gospel, their fulfillment, at ten amazing prophecies of the suffering and death of the Messiah if you're as amazed as I am by them, I'm going to give you the opportunity at the end of each of the ten to say, wow. Okay? All right. Here we go. Number one, the Messiah, the Old Testament predicts, will be silent before his accusers. Let me read to you Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Let me read to you the description of Jesus when he was on trial before Pilate in Matthew 27, 12. When Jesus was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. It's interesting that just a little bit later in the 8th chapter of Acts, there was an Ethiopian who was going home from Jerusalem, and he was riding in a chariot, and he was reading these very verses, this verse, Isaiah 53, 7, that we've just read, the Bible says, and he didn't understand it, and God's angel sent Philip to go stand there and anticipate his coming, and when the chariot came by, he asked him if he could help, and he said, I don't understand it. Who's this? Is he talking about himself or somebody else? And beginning with this verse, the Bible says, Philip began to tell him about Jesus. And he accepted Jesus as his Messiah there in that chariot. They passed an oasis. He said, here's water. I'm headed to Ethiopia. Can I be baptized now? And they got down and he was baptized in the name of Jesus there. Wow on three. One, two, three. Wow. That's pretty good for the first one. All right. Number two. The Messiah will be beaten and spit upon. Here we move to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Uh, the Messiah will be beaten and he will be spit upon. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 27. 
Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Number three, the Messiah's hands and feet, the Old Testament says, will be pierced. David wrote in Psalm 22:16, "Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet." And Matthew 27, verse 31 says of Jesus, "After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him." And you know that in crucifixion, they nailed his hands to the cross and they nailed his feet to the cross. His hands and feet were pierced just as David had anticipated. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Hey, that's getting good. All right, number four, the Messiah will be considered a criminal or a lawbreaker. He'll be considered a criminal or a lawbreaker. How in the world would the Messiah, the coming Savior, be considered a criminal? Isaiah 53, 12 predicted, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Transgressor means a lawbreaker or a criminal. And Jesus quoted this verse to his disciples the night before he died in the upper room after they had shared in the Lord's Supper. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus said, It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Jesus said, Isaiah 53 is about me, and it is reaching its fulfillment. I'll be numbered with the transgressors. The next morning, it says in Luke 23, 32, two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the scroll, the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Just as the Bible had said, he was numbered or counted or considered among the transgressors, the criminals. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Number five, the Messiah's captors will divide his clothes. In Psalm 22, verse 18, it predicted, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And in Matthew chapter 27, Verse 35, it says, When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That is about as specific as you can get, and exactly as the Bible had said uh, about 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah, it happened. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Number six. The Messiah will be mocked and insulted. In Psalm 22, 7 through 8, 
All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 7. Um, Matthew 27, beginning at verse uh, 29. Hey, thank you for your helping me. I appreciate that there. Yeah, let's start in verse... Uh, where are we going to start? 39. Thank you for your help there. I got them numbered wrong. Thank you for your help. Those who passed by, I'm glad you're with me, uh, hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and he will we will believe in him he trusts in God let God rescue him now if he wants him for he said I am the son of God in the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him do you see that they said almost the exact same words that had been predicted in Psalm 22 well on three one two three wow number seven the Messiah will feel abandoned by God. He will feel abandoned by God. Psalm 22.1, the first verse in the psalm says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse in the psalm. David, that David wrote, Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew 27, verse 46. He had been on the cross from 9 a.m. to about 3 p.m., six hours, it was coming near the time he would die. And at about 3 in the afternoon, verse 46 says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted this verse while he was on the cross. It made such an impression on the disciples that they recorded it in the Aramaic words he cried out as well as in the Greek that the rest of the text is in. So that's why you have it both ways in your, your Bible there. Did Jesus perhaps quote this whole psalm? Did they hear him just quote the first verse? Did Jesus go over all of these things that he knew were coming true about him that we are looking at in these steps? We do not know. And, and Christians wrestle with, did God actually turn away from the Son as he bore the sins of all of us on the cross? And that's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or is that impossible because the Father and the Son are one? You cannot separate the Godhead. So is he just expressing what he felt? He certainly felt abandoned and forsaken as all of our sins were placed upon him and he bore the punishment and the curse for all of us. I do not know the answer to those questions, but I know that there is such a connection here that Jesus quoted Psalm 22, 1, while he was on the cross. Wow, on three, one, two, three, wow. Number eight, the Messiah will be thirsty and will be offered vinegar to drink. Psalm 22:15. my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Let's add into this Psalm 69, 21. 
they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And here we turn to the Gospel of John, which more clearly makes this connection. In John chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Another amazing, small detail of the very drink that he was given when he died is predicted in the Old Testament. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Number nine, the Old Testament predicted none of the Messiah's bones will be broken when he dies. For this, we look at Psalm 34, verse 20. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Let me read to you John's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. And so I believe that Jesus died on Friday afternoon. The next day was Sabbath, Saturday, their day of worship. But it was a special Sabbath because it was the Sabbath of the Passover. It was a high Sabbath. And because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath. So, you know, if you execute an innocent man, you don't want their body there during your special worship service. You know, that's not a good thing. So, you know, we want to clean up these bodies of the Son of God we killed, you know. So, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down because in normal, or often in crucifixion, we read that it would, the death would take for days. It was a slow, agonizing death. And uh, uh, that they would die, and they didn't want them lingering for days. They wanted it to be over quickly. And in crucifixion, they tell us when you're hanging by the weight of your hands that it, that it collapses, puts pressure on your lungs, and you have to push up with your legs in order to get a breath and then uh, sag back down. And when you can't stand any longer, you push up again. And so by breaking the legs, they no longer have that ability to push up and to fill the lungs, apparently. And so that hastens the death, and that's what they were after. And so they asked Pilate to have the legs broken, and then the bodies taken down after they died. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the others. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, remember we read, he said, I'm thirsty. He took the drink. He said, all scripture is fulfilled. He said, it is finished, and he, he gave up the spirit. He voluntarily went to the cross, and I think he voluntarily died. He's already dead. They found that him already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus, side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. John said, I was there. I saw it. I'm an eyewitness. He knows he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. 
These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And then he, he quotes Psalm 34:20, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, which we didn't even take time to get to, it's Zechariah 12:10, they will look on the one they pierce. So Psalm 22 said they'll pierce his hands and feet. Zechariah 12, a little bit different, said they'll look on the one they pierce. John saw in this two scriptures fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they have pierced. Wow on three, one, two, three, wow. Number 10, the Messiah will be buried with the rich. Now this is an unlikely prophecy because uh, Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds there have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's an itinerant preacher. He doesn't own anything. He's poor. And yet the scripture said in Isaiah 53, 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So we've already seen he's going to be numbered among the transgressors. He's going to be counted among the wicked. But now the detail is added, and with the rich in his death, how in the world would that be fulfilled of this poor preacher who has been rejected? Well, it tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, as evening approached, he died at 3 p.m., Got to get those bodies off before the Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. That's what the Jews required. So as evening approached, there came a rich man, a what? A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock, and he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. And so, amazingly, it is fulfilled that this one who would die as a criminal rejected would also be buried with the rich. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Now, we've seen 10 details of the suffering and death of the Messiah that I think are amazing. Details about dividing his clothes and what he'll drink and, and his hands and fierce being pierced, hands and feet being pierced. But Isaiah 53 not only tells us the what, but the why. It not only tells us the amazing details of his death, but it tells us the purpose of his death. Let me just read to you, finally, three verses from Isaiah 53 that are not so much giving the details of what will happen, but the meaning of it, the import of it. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He died in our place. In Hollywood, I understand they have stand-ins for these famous actors. They don't want to do their stunts. They don't want to do anything dangerous. So when it comes to anything dangerous, they have a stunt double or a stand-in. I was supposed to die, and Jesus became my stand-in. 
He took my place at the most dangerous part of my life when the curse of sin should have fallen on me. The song says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. I'm still not sure we get that, so I want to tell you a story. Last Saturday night, uh, my older son, uh, Gavin, lives in Chattanooga, wife and two kids. Last Saturday night, somebody stole their Christmas lights in front of their house. Uh, he's got one of those security cameras, you know, doorbell or security cameras up front. So you can watch the video. Some guy's up there snatching Christmas trees up alongside the sidewalk and ripping things off the porch and extension cords are popping, you know, and everything. And uh, so I want to tell you my thought process when I heard about that. My first thought process was, that's about as low as you can get to steal kids' Christmas lights at Christmas. I got, got a five-year-old and two-year-old. I know the two-year-old wouldn't know anything about it, but the five-year-old, I said, what Hadley say about this? And he said, well, she, first she said, that was rude for somebody to steal our Christmas lights. And then she said, I bet it was the Grinch. <laughs> and my older son, who's a smart aleck, said, told, said, well, if it was the Grinch, if you'll go outside and sing loudly, he'll bring them back. <laughs> that wasn't any help at all. So my first process of thought was, I pray that guy just gets electrocuted. Not, not killed. I don't mean killed. I just mean, you know, you know just, just a good jolt. Like on cartoons, you know, when their skeleton lights up. You know, you know what I'm talking about? They don't ever die on cartoons, you know, but, you know, just a, you know, it, that's just, you know, you sort of try to protect kids. I think kids ought to be protected from this old world of sin and stuff as long as you can. And now you got to talk to a five-year-old about why somebody stole their Christmas trees down their sidewalk, you know, just, just a little zap. And then I got to thinking about this passage I was preaching on Sunday. And I realized, you know, God loves that. He stole them for two or three other houses on the streets. He's obviously selling them at some flea market this weekend in Chattanooga, you know, or something like that. And I got to thinking, that's why Jesus came at Christmas. He, God loves that guy. I'm praying for him to be electrocuted, and Jesus is dying for him. You see? He, he took our transgressions. And, and I'll be praying a little bit different for him, probably. That somewhere this guy who maybe he's got a drug habit to support, or maybe I don't know why he'd steal Christmas lights. But God loves him. God died for God wants him to be in heaven. Jesus took his transgressions. That's amazing. And then I got to the third part of my thought process. And that was. Britain, you think you're better than him because you would never steal Christmas lights from a kid's house and he's low life and you're a whole lot better than him. And I thought, that sounds just like a parable Jesus told when there was this Pharisee praying and he said, Lord, I thank you that I am not like that Christmas tree light stealer, that publican, that tax collector, because I tithe and I go to church. That's what he said. And I'm thinking, man, I am just like that Pharisee. 
And I read this verse and I realize we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I, I got to thinking, I'm far more like that guy who stole Christmas lights than I am like holy God. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And until you get that, you're never going to be overwhelmed by Isaiah 53 and the meaning of Christmas. That it's not the good people and the bad people. And oh, we got all these bad people in the world. It's that we're all, we all like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord loved us all and he laid on his own son the iniquity of us all. Wow, on three, one, two, three. Wow. Would you stand together with me? Let's sing a song of commitment. Maybe today would be the day at Christmas time when you would say, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'll stake my life on that. I'll become a Christian. I'll identify as a follower of Jesus the Christ. What a great time to do that. Would you walk forward while we sing? We're going to baptize again next Sunday. We couldn't get everybody on the same Sunday, which is great. We love to do it every week. We're going to baptize again next week. You could be baptized the Sunday before Christmas. How great would that be? Today, why don't you confess your faith in Christ? You need a church home. We'd love for you to be a part of this family at First Baptist. We're just a bunch of Christmas tree lights stealing sinners who've been <laughs> redeemed by Jesus. You'd fit right in. We invite you to come be a part of this church family. If you want somebody to pray with you about anything in your life, be glad to do that. Let's sing together. Just
could be seated. And all we can really say is, wow, it's just that God is just so amazing in the way that he has revealed himself and, and fulfilled the promises of Scripture and the, the fact that he suffered and died on our behalf and our place and, and took that stand in. And we, we have these things that we do as a church to, to get opportunities for us to worship and show our devotion and, and appreciation and worship of God and the opportunities to serve, and, and those are there in your, your worship guide. Things we have coming up uh, tonight, we have the Christmas concert uh, with the kids, so come in and uh, support them as they, they do that. There's still the opportunity to be praying and giving for missions. Christmas food boxes, we have those uh, opportunity to serve there uh, December 18th that morning, and then our Christmas Eve candlelight service on Christmas Eve. So uh, just, again, opportunities for us to express our devotion, our appreciation. Uh, to serve others and share God's love with other people because hey, he Daniel. is a wonderful, wonderful God. Now I wish that I had, I had known he was going to do the wow thing. I would have changed the first song to wow, 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 wow. Don't you think it would have been better? Yeah. Hey, wow. There's probably some like w translation where that works. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, 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 think it's, I think we've written something here. Okay. All right. You, you got about 20 minutes to work that out. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, well, hey, let's, let's pray what we dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. We are just uh, wretched sinners, God, but we have a wonderful, magnificent Savior who's worked throughout history to find us here where we are to give us hope and peace and a future and salvation. God, we love you. Help us to just express that in the things that we do as we go about our days during this holiday season to celebrate your birth. God, we love you. Uh, just be with us now. Amen.